We have come to Matthew chapter 16 this morning, and uh, we're really getting into exciting times, I think, in the study of Matthew. Uh, I did want to make one quick note. Um, of course, it's the first Sunday of the month, and we traditionally have our Lord's Supper celebration on this day. Uh, we are going to postpone that for just a couple of weeks. Um, I didn't feel right just trying to rush through it, knowing time time constraints and all that kind of thing, and uh, didn't feel right just, just having it for the sake of having it. So uh, we'll have it in a couple of weeks when we have a little more time of consideration. But uh, you could be thinking about it even now as, as this passage again uh, talks about bread in a different way, as we'll see, but uh, that's a theme that keeps coming up. And of course, Christ, he is the bread from heaven, our provision, and uh, he reassures his disciples of that today. But uh, as I said, Matthew 16, it's things are really starting to brew, so to speak, and a lot is happening. Um, we've just come off two of Jesus' most famous miracles, his feeding of both 5,000 and a group of 4,000, and then also his walking on water. Right here in chapter 16, in a couple of weeks, we are going to see Peter's great confession about Jesus uh, at Caesarea Philippi, that famous time where Jesus asked, who do you think that I am? And Peter exclaimed, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. In chapter 17, we're going to see what I think is one of the most marvelous yet mind-boggling uh, scenes in all of scripture, and that is the transfiguration of Jesus, where the glory of the Godhead really shines through. And also Moses and Elijah make an appearance up on the mountain there with Peter, James, John, and Jesus. And then, of course, at the end of chapter 17, Jesus will clearly foretell his death and his resurrection. And by the time we get to chapter 19, uh, we will really be on a swift journey in the Gospel of Matthew toward Jerusalem, toward the events of Jesus' passion. So I hope that gives you a little bit of a picture of where we are um, in the life and ministry of Jesus, where we are in Matthew, and where we're going to be headed. Um, after Jesus' feeding of the 4,000, it tells us that he went, got in a boat and went to the region of Magadan, um, which is across the lake from where the crowd had gathered. Now, interesting, of course, we have two stories of feedings. Both times we read shortly thereafter that Jesus got into a boat and went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And the first time we're told that he was met by the Pharisees who had, came up, who had come up from Jerusalem to challenge him. And they challenged him that time about his disciples breaking the tradition of the elders. Well, this time, after Jesus feeds a large group of people, he gets into a boat and goes to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And who do you think meets him again? The Pharisees. And uh, this time, though, they have with them another group, which is the Sadducees. And we'll talk about that a little bit. Jesus' interaction with this group is very short, but the message that comes through in these 12 verses that we're going to look at today is a very simple one. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Since Jesus' first interaction with the Pharisees, we've seen them really as examples of what not to do. And there are many things we could say about them, many ways we could summarize the lessons that we could learn from the Pharisees and how they interacted with and rejected Jesus. Jesus himself, of course, speaks boldly against them, and we're going to see him speak even more boldly toward the end of Matthew. But of all the things that 
the Pharisees represent in terms of, of being anti-Christ, so to speak, anti-gospel, anti-kingdom, anti-new covenant, I think three things stick out most dramatically, things that we've already seen so far. One of those things is legalism. Now, we saw this in the very last chapter where the Pharisees from Jerusalem met Jesus and and, and challenged him about their traditions. And we've talked a lot about the traditions, how uh, the oral traditions of the elders to the Pharisees had become essentially like the law. And in their eyes, those traditions and the law were the only way to be justified and to be made clean. Of course, Jesus has challenged that on many accounts, including in the Sermon on the Mount, when he, where he said that in order to be to enter the kingdom of heaven, their, your righteousness has to exceed that of the Pharisees. But yet the Pharisees' legalism stays with them. They carry it right on through. Another thing that we see is the mark of hypocrisy. This is not the only time that Jesus will speak of the Pharisees in terms of leaven. That's his warning. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. In another place, in Luke, where he records it, Jesus explains that the leaven of the Pharisees, at least in part, is hypocrisy. And one of the most famous denunciations of by Jesus of the Pharisees is in Luke 20, or should be Matthew 23 on the screen. It reads Luke 23. But there he repeats over and over again, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. He says, you tithe the mint and the, and the cumin, but you neglect the weightier things of the law, justice and mercy. Uh, he said, you, you go uh, out of your way to make one convert, but when you do that, you make him 10 times the child of hell than you are. And he says, maybe most pointedly, that you are like whited sepulchers, which are shiny and bright on the outside, but on the inside, they are filled with dead men's bones. Jesus is saying that the Pharisees were the classic example of not practicing what they preached. Hypocrisy marked them generally, and they may have been blind to it or so used to it that it didn't bother them but Jesus denounced it sharply. So we see legalism, we see hypocrisy. But of all the things that we can say, and maybe the most basic thing, the most consistent thing that comes up again and again with the Pharisees, and also we see it here in this passage with the Sadducees, is the example of unbelief. We saw unbelief in chapter 12, when after Jesus had cast out a demon, the Pharisees refused to believe, and instead they accused him of doing the work of Satan. We saw unbelief again in chapter 12 when they asked for a sign, and Jesus told them that they wouldn't even believe, even if a sign of the magnitude of the prophet Jonah were to come. And then he said, the men of Nineveh will cry out against you on the day of judgment because they repented, but the Pharisees would not believe no matter what they saw. Well, here again in chapter 16, we see the Pharisees coming with their unbelief, asking for a sign. And those three things, we could, again, we could add more to that list. We could maybe pare it down. But I think those three things are some good things to think about in terms of the leaven of the Pharisees. Those three things, legalism, 
hypocrisy and unbelief are deadly spiritual poisons. Legalism is deadly because it leads you to believe that you can find life in something that has no power to produce it. And you can find transformation in something that has no power to transform. Hypocrisy is deadly because it's only life on the surface, but rotting in decay on the inside. And the worst part of hypocrisy is that eventually you believe the lie yourself. And you believe that your outward appearance and your put on behavior is the most important part of your life. Unbelief, of course, is deadly because it is the simplest and the greatest statement against Jesus, against his kingdom and against the gospel. Unbelief in its greatest form displays a hardness of heart like we saw in the parable of the weeds or the seeds. No matter the truth, no matter the message, no matter the sign, the heart remains impenetrable. And the word of God, which is powerful, yet has no effect leaving a dead soul dead and blinded eyes still darkened. Now, as we read through this passage, we'll, we'll see obviously that warning against the leaven of the Pharisees. And I wanted to start with those, that little bit of a definition to think so we can think together on it. But another thing that we're going to see in this passage is are two kinds of spiritual blindness. Of course, we see the spiritual blindness of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which seemingly would never be remedied. But we also see a kind of blindness in the disciples. And uh, in that, there are some great applications for us as well. So stay tuned for all these things. And uh, the big idea today is legalism, hypocrisy, and unbelief of the Pharisees and Sadducees are things that followers of Jesus are warned to beware of even today. Well, let's go to Matthew 16 and read this passage I encourage you to turn there and follow along, beginning in verse number one. At that time, uh, excuse me, and the, and the Pharisees and Sadducees came and tested him, demanding him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. And when the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, oh, you of a little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered there? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Before we go on, let's pause and ask the Lord to help us as we study. Heavenly Father, thank you again for 
your word. Thank you for the privilege of, of looking into it, of, of knowing you in it and through it. Thank you for the privilege of, of hearing it and listening to it. Thank you for the privilege of studying it. Thank you for giving it to us, for revealing yourself. And uh, Lord, this morning, as we take some time, would you illuminate our, well, would you illuminate your word in our hearts, in our minds? Would we have open hearts, not hard hearts? Would we have open eyes, not blinded eyes? Would we be receptive? Would we be soft soil, fertile, ready to receive what you have given to us? Would you help us to heed the warnings of this passage and also to learn from the lessons that your disciples learned in it as well? Lord, we trust that you will use this word today to accomplish what you want, and it won't return empty. So we give it to you and leave it in your hands, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We'll see three sort of actions in the passage today. And the first one we see, of course, of the Pharisees and the Sadducees is this idea of demanding. And, of course, we picked up in verse 1 with the Pharisees and Sadducees came to him testing him, testing him, demanding a sign that they would uh, test him. Now, the main part of the story is that testing, that's the reason they came. Uh, but I don't want to ignore something here which is striking, and that's the fact that the Pharisees came together with Sadducees. It's, it's important to note that they didn't come as two separate groups and sort of did the same thing at the same time. They had apparently gotten together before this and agreed to go to Jesus. It simply reads, the Pharisees and Sadducees, together they came. And the fact that those two groups were working together on something is a remarkable thing, for they were essentially non-combative enemies. That may be a little bit forceful of a term, but I want you to get a picture that these groups of people were not friends. That is, they would never pick up physical weapons to fight, but ideologically and socially and even in part of their religion, they were at odds with one another. The Pharisees, of course, we know are traditionalists. They were staunch keepers of the laws of Moses and also the oral laws and the traditions of the rabbis. The Sadducees, on the other hand, were, were something of the progressives of their day. Uh, they did not accept the tradition of the elders as law, uh, in fact, they only generally believed in the five books of Moses, whereas the Pharisees believed uh, the entirety of what we call the Old Testament, including the prophets. Socially, while the Pharisees certainly were set apart by their rituals, their behavior, their appearance, they were a bit more common class. While the Sadducees, on the other hand, were upper class. And in fact, we know from history that the high priest and the priestly groups for many years came from the group of the Sadducees. They were a, a little bit more distinguished and sometimes despised because of it. And they also differed on one very major front, and that is the concept of the supernatural or miracles. The Pharisees believed in the supernatural. They believed, for instance, the miracles of the prophets. They believed that that, that demons could be cast out and people could be healed and and particularly that people could be raised from the dead. And that is one sticking point that these two groups had because the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. You could say they were the naturalists of their day. All of these elements together made it so that these groups rarely interacted. But interestingly, they were able to put differences aside for the sake of Jesus. 
Now, if I had just said that sentence, it sounds like a good thing, except they did not put their differences aside for the sake of Jesus in a positive way. Rather, they did it in, in a way that's like that common saying, where the enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? And that seems to be displayed here. And it shows the depth of the seriousness of unbelief, because that is the one character trait that these two groups shared. And as you continue in scripture, you'll find that they continue to share that generally. Their unbelief in Jesus as being who he claimed to be, as being the Messiah. And you can ask that question, how far will one go to confirm their unbelief? Well, let's read again. The Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. And he answered them, when it's evening, you say it will be fair, for the sky is red, and in the morning it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You can interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. So he left and departed them. Much like we saw in chapter number 12, it seems to be a similar occasion. They ask for a sign, a, a sign from heaven, something that would undoubtedly display that Jesus has come from God. But Matthew gives us a clue here that they weren't really asking in order to believe, they were asking in order to test him. They weren't really interested in being proved wrong. They were interested in, in something that would trip Jesus up, something that would confirm them in their hatred. So Jesus responds to them, and he gives this, this common understanding of the weather. It's something that we even know today. We say the little phrase oftentimes, I learned it growing up, red sky at night, sailors delight, red sky in the morning, sailors take warning. And uh, in our climate and Similarly, in the climate of Israel, that is true. Typically, when you have a red or a colored evening sky, it's a sign that the next day is going to be fair. Whereas if you have a red or colored morning sky, it's a good chance that there will be a storm that day. It's one of these little truisms that people generally believe, and it's almost always true. And the Pharisees knew that. Jesus knew that. And Jesus is using this simple little statement as saying, you can see the common understanding of the weather. You have no problem looking at the signs and saying, yeah, it's obvious, a red sky, it should be a good day tomorrow. They didn't have any, any qualms with that. They could accept those signs. But you can't see the signs of the times. They were blind. They were blind to the things that showed that the kingdom was here. Remember back in Matthew 11, when we met up with, with John's disciples, and uh, we read in Matthew 11, when John heard in prison about the, the deeds of Christ, he sent by word or word by his disciples and said, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And listen to what Jesus said. Jesus answered, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. In other words, Jesus is saying, the signs are all there. 
The signs are there. Am I the one to come? Have you seen the signs? And not only that, but Jesus himself, the entirety of his life, all the ways in which he fulfilled the scriptures and the prophecies, he was a sign. At the Bible study on Tuesday night, we read from Luke 2, and I was reminded of this, uh, this great statement by Simeon where he, he took Jesus in his arms when he saw him, and he told them, the parents, one of the things he said is, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is to be opposed so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This group wanted a sign from heaven. They had received a sign from heaven. Jesus was the sign from heaven. He did what nobody else could do. He taught like nobody else could teach. He had authority like none other had authority. He had a birth like nobody else was born. He possessed righteousness that nobody else could show or offer. Jesus was the sign, but they would not believe. And just like he did in chapter 12, Jesus said to them, no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. Now, in chapter 12, he gives an explanation. He says, as Jonah was in the fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the earth three days and three nights. And that one major sign that Jesus would give would be the resurrection. But we have to ask the question, would these men believe even then? And for the most part, can't say 100% because we don't know all of them, but for the most part, the answer is no. In Luke 16, Jesus spoke about this and saying, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, in other words, if they don't hear what the law, the prophets say about me and who I am, then they will not be convinced even if someone should rise from the dead. And in Matthew 28, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but just to whet our appetites, we find that after the resurrection, we read when they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. In other words, the stone rolled back, the body gone, the tomb empty, all that. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, and remember many of these were of the Sadducees and probably some Pharisees in the Sanhedrin, it says they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away. Would they believe even if one were raised from the dead? In fact, they would not. And they would go so far as to fabricate this lie and even pay off the Roman soldiers to propagate it. Jesus had given a multitude of signs, the sign of his birth, the sign of his teaching, the sign of his miracles, the sign of his death, the sign of his resurrection, the sign of his return to the Father. All of these things, by the time the gospel records are over, would be given and what more could we ask for if we put ourselves in the place of these Pharisees and Sadducees? What more can we ask for? But they weren't demanding or seeking so that their hearts could be changed. They came again with that hard heart of unbelief. We read on, though, and we pick it up in verse 5. 
and the disciples come back on the scene. And we move from the, the idea of, of demanding to this idea of missing or missing something. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, I have to admit, some weeks in my study, uh, long hours of reading and writing and all that kind of stuff. And then there's some times where I have a little bit of comic relief. And uh, this passage was actually one of those. And you may be thinking, I don't see anything funny in here. And maybe I have a, a strange imagination. But let me clue you in a little bit on how my brain works. Um, so here, here we find the scene. Jesus has obviously been interacting with the Pharisees. Uh, whether or not Jesus is with the disciples and they're all together, it seems like they might be separate. But anyways, they meet back up and Matthew gives us this little clue that when the disciples came to the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. And there's several ways you could imagine this scene. One way I imagine it is them thinking, oh, we forgot bread. What's he going to say? I told you we should have stocked up after the last feeding. Oh, no, he's talking about leaven. See, I knew he'd find out we didn't bring any bread. Or another way I'd like to imagine it is this. Hey, did you hear about what Jesus said about the leaven of the Pharisees? Yeah. Do you have any idea what he's talking about? No. Hmm. Oh, man, we forgot to bring bread. <laughs> and it's kind of an exercise in missing the point. And maybe I'm dramatizing it a little bit, but that's kind of what's happening here. When the disciples reached the other side, they'd forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. In other words, all they could get out of that, whether they were trying or whether it just reminded them, was, was the fact that they didn't have anything to eat. And Jesus responds to them, oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Now, this is what I meant earlier by seeing two kinds of blindness or spiritual blindness. The Pharisees had a spiritual blindness that would persist. Uh, it would be the blindness of a hardened heart. It would fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah that we've seen in Matthew as well, where he says, seeing they will never see and hearing they will never hear. But the disciples, as we follow this group of guys, often display a different kind of blindness that may be more familiar to us, and that is simply the blindness of, of missing it, of just plain misunderstanding. The disciples were learners. They, they didn't have it all figured out. In fact, it often seems that they just kind of have the bare minimum understanding of what's going on. Only in chapter 14 did we see them come to the understanding that Jesus was more than a man. But we have to not be so hard on them, I think, because we stand in a privileged place of, of having the whole Bible. We can read to the end of Matthew and through the book of Acts and right to the book of Revelation, whereas these men were, were, being, were part of what was being written. We have the whole story, whereas they were part of the story. And we all have moments of, of misunderstanding of this kind of blindness, not being perfectly clear on, on what we ought to do or what the Lord wants from us. And in these moments, it's not necessarily the moments of um, unbelief or a hard heart. It's simply the blindness of our human nature that reminds us that we need the Lord. And to this kind of blindness, Jesus says, oh, you of little faith. That gives us a little bit of a clue that the disciples were maybe worried about the fact that they didn't bring any bread. 
So they missed the point of what he said, and they were worried about that he didn't bring any bread. So Jesus, he says, oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive? Do you not remember? And then he gives the two feedings, the five loaves for five thousands and how many baskets you gathered, or the seven loaves for the four thousand and how many baskets you gathered. Don't you remember the the 5,000 fed and the 12 baskets. Don't you remember the 4,000 fed and the seven baskets? We didn't talk about this a lot in those stories, but it seems like with those numbers, Jesus is making a point. 12 baskets may represent the 12 disciples or the 12 tribes of Israel. It seems to be indicating God's provision for his people. In the feeding of the 4,000, we saw that it was a, a Gentile crowd with Gentile baskets. And by the way, Jesus uses that word here as well to, to indicate that that change was meant to be noticed. This time is it's God's provision for all people. And Jesus is saying, why are you talking about the fact that you don't have any bread? I can provide plenty of bread for Israel, for the Gentiles alike. I'm not talking about where you're going to get your physical bread or if you're going to buy this bread with this kind of leaven. Then we see them come around to understanding. Look at verse number 11. He said, how is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he would, when they had it explained to them, their, their little moment of blindness was lifted, which we have seen many times with the disciples. And that's important to know because that's different than the Pharisees whose blindness seemed to remain with them regardless of how many signs or how much explanation was given. And there's a question there about our own approach, our own uh, attitude towards God's word. And that is when God's word is clearly given to us, when we understand it, when we see it, finally, do we believe it? Do we take it? Do we accept it? Take courage when you have moments of misunderstanding or even doubt. Those aren't moments of utter loss. The big question is when you do understand, when it does become clear, what do you do with it? In other words, we're responsible to believe and follow God's word in following Jesus. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees who would not believe, no matter what was given to them who would not humble themselves before Jesus, whose eyes would not be open to understand. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees who remained in their unrighteousness because they found security in their outward righteousness, who remained unclean because everybody else believed they were clean. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees who, who sought life and transformation in human traditions and laws that could neither give life nor transform. Beware of that kind of leaven. Now, what is the image of leaven? Leaven, again, is like yeast. It's a bread starter. And if you remember back in the parable of, of the leaven, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God being like leaven, which is sown in a huge lump of flour, and it spreads, it permeates through the whole thing. And that's what yeast does, right? It only takes a little bit of yeast to leaven a whole lump of bread. 
Well, this time Jesus is speaking in the negative sense. And he's saying it only takes a little bit of what the Pharisees and the Sadducees have to ruin a person. A little unbelief goes a long way. A little hypocrisy goes a long way. A little bit of legalism goes a long way. Paul would speak of very similar things uh, to the Galatian church in Galatians 5, 9. Uh, I believe he gets it right from Jesus and he uses the same imagery speaking about uh, the legalism of requiring certain keeping of keepings of the law to be saved. And he says a little leaven of this sort leavens the whole lump. So this warning comes right through to us as well. Beware of this kind of leaven. But also be encouraged. Because like the disciples, when we have moments of doubt and misunderstanding, confusion, doesn't indicate that we have this kind of leaven. It just indicates that we're reminded that we need the Lord. And when the Lord gives us his truth, when we have it revealed, the the spirit illuminates it to us through the word. When we have understanding, the question is then, what do we do with it? Do we accept it? Do we obey it? Or do we, having seen the explanation, having seen it clearly, continue to reject it? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Lord, thank you for this scripture. Would this simple reminder be a reminder to us today? May we take it seriously. Lord, would we be quick to admit when we don't understand, when we don't know, but then when when we have it clarified, when you cause something to break through in our minds, when you, the Holy Spirit uses the word of God to, to show us clearly something, would we submit to it readily? Would we bow down before you as Lord and say, yes, I see it now. Lord, may we not have a hardness of heart, a heart of unbelief, a heart of hypocrisy. May we not find our security in what we can do. Lord, may we bow before you as Lord, the giver of all truth and righteousness. And would we beware of this kind of thing? Help us with this, Lord. We need it. We need you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.